covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. We are powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. It is great to have you with us as we get set for the next hour or so of talking all things Milwaukee Brewers baseball. Before we get into it, Let's do our normal housekeeping items that we do here at the top of the podcast. First off, if you do listen to the podcast via Apple Podcast, iTunes, whatever you want to call it, and you can leave a ranking and review, that is good. Also, if you do listen to us on that and you can subscribe to the podcast, also if you listen on Stitcher and you can subscribe to the podcast, uh, that would be great as well. If you just happen to listen on WTMJ.com or on the WTMJ mobile app, just keep doing what you're doing. We certainly appreciate you being tuned in, uh, no matter uh, how you happen to uh, go about uh, consuming the podcast. If you need to get in contact with me, easiest way to do so is via Twitter, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. I try to get back to everybody. I've been doing a really crappy job of it recently, so if you're somebody who's tweeted at me and I've not responded, you can get my apology. So uh, I've just I've not done as good of a job at that lately. I'll try to get back going and be uh, a little bit better at that. You can also always email me, matt.pauly at wtmj.com. Here's what we got coming up on the program this week. It's going to be a fun podcast. We're going to be joined by uh, Kyle Osneski from uh, Brew Crew Ball. He is the managing editor over there. He's going to join us coming up in uh, just a few moments during our social media conversation. And then later on, our second featured guest is uh, Garrett Green. He is the broadcaster of the playoff-bound Biloxi Shuckers, the AA affiliate of the Brewers. And they've got a lot of interesting guys on that roster, and we are going to talk with him about a number of them. So uh, that's going to be coming up here in just a little bit. I want to hit on a few things here as we open up the program. First off, I'm a little frustrated on something, and I know there is this, there just, there's this, I've used the term impending sense of doom. I think I've even used that on this podcast before, but I, I hear it all the time, and I'm somebody who, who thinks very highly of this Milwaukee Brewers team, and I still expect them to be a playoff team. I could easily be wrong. There's, there's only so many playoff spots, and right now there's a number of teams contending, and it could very easily come down to which team is the hottest in the final week of the season, the final couple weeks of the season. But to me, and my amateur scouting ability, I still view this team as a playoff team. And I, I'm well aware of the fact that they have not played as well over the past couple months that they did, say, in the month of May. Uh, but they've also... They've also remained in a playoff position for the most part uh, throughout that uh, entire time. There's been a day here, a day there where they haven't been in a playoff spot. Uh, there have been other times where they're in the uh, the proverbial virtual tie. We're talking on Sunday night, and as we speak on Sunday night, the wild card picture looks like this: the Cardinals have the top wild card, and the Brewers have the second wild card, and nobody else is tied. There's no more virtual ties. There's none of that. The Rockies are a full game back. The Phillies are a full two games back. Dodgers are a full two and a half games back. And then there's certainly some separation between the Dodgers and the Nationals, who are seven and a half back. So right now, the wild card picture really looks like Cardinals, Brewers, Rockies, Phillies, Dodgers. And I guess you can throw the Diamondbacks in there as well. The Diamondbacks are just in front of the Rockies in the West. So if the if, if the Rockies or the Dodgers were to push forward into the Western Division lead in the National League, Diamondbacks could fall back. But for the most part, 
that's your playoff picture for the wild cards. And the Brewers are still in a very good position. In fact, ESPN, if you go to their uh, playoff standings or uh, just divisional standings, uh, they have start listing their uh, percentage chance of making the playoffs, which is some type of algorithm where they take the team's current record and strength of schedule down the stretch and expected wins and expected losses and all that sort of stuff. And as it sits right now, the Brewers have a 58% chance of making it in the postseason. In fact, if uh, the way things are right now, teams that have a better than 50% chance of making it in the postseason are the Braves, the Cubs, the Cardinals, the Brewers, the Dodgers, and the Diamondbacks come in over 54 as well, which is a little bit weird because only five teams make it. So it's odd that these playoff percentages right now at ESPN list six teams at above 50%. You would think they could only have five teams above 50% uh, based off the fact that there's five spots. But those those are the teams right now that uh, ESPN looks at. So, yeah, there have there been some frustrating moments recently with this Brewers team? Absolutely there has. I'm not running away from the fact that there's been frustration. I'm not running away from the fact that there are some games recently that you really feel like the Brewers absolutely 100% should have won. And you start, then you start doing the what could have been game. When you look back over the last few weeks and you look at that game against San Diego and that second game against Cincinnati and you start looking at those different, you know, tough losses and you start going, you know, this team could have three, four more wins just from the, just in the month of August alone. And what would that do? That would have them, uh, I'm trying to do math in my head right now, that would have them in the first wild card. and They're four games back of the Cubs, so they'd be right next to the Cubs for the division lead. Uh, four and a half games back of the Cubs right now, so uh, right there next to them. So it, it's, it's easy to do that. But the Brewers are in a good place right now. And I believe if they can keep winning series, and we've seen them win a couple series in a row, and I know it was Cincinnati, I know it was Pittsburgh. Those are not exactly the best teams in the world, but they're divisional opponents. It's late in the season. You've seen them a lot. They were able to take two out of three from both. The Pittsburgh series is probably uh, even more significant because they've struggled against the Pirates. Now they're going into Cincinnati, into Washington, an opportunity if they can win uh, at least two of three in each of those series. I think they'll continue to stay in, in pretty good shape. And then before we know it, it is going to be the month of September, and we're just going to be talking about the final couple, two, three weeks of the season. I also want to get into the Matt Harvey thing from this past week. It was... It was odd because the Brewers reportedly put in a waiver claim on Harvey. They were awarded the waiver claim, and that opened up a window for them to exclusively negotiate with the Reds for Matt Harvey. The window closed. They could not come together on a deal and now Harvey basically can't be put on waivers again. If he is placed on waivers again before the end of the season, they cannot pull him back off waivers, so the team that claims him would just get him. They, it's not a situation where you you have to work out a trade. So he's going to be with the Reds for the rest of the season unless something crazy ends up happening. And I, there was social media was a weird place. Twitter was a weird place that morning. Because the report comes out that the Brewers had placed the claim. The report included 
the the time in which the window closed, it was 12.30 or 2.30 or 1.30. I can't remember the exact time. I think it was 12.30. And I'll be honest, I'm, I don't say this to pat myself on the back, but I was confused by the reaction because across the board on social media, it really seemed like everybody just assumed this deal is going to get done. There's no way this deal doesn't get done. And I'm sitting there thinking every moment that ticks by, every second that ticks by, leverage moves more and more in the favor of the Brewers. And David Stearns doesn't strike me as a guy who gets into a bidding war. I mean, he'll negotiate He'll add something here. He'll add something there. And bidding war is the wrong word or wrong phrase to use because he's not bidding against anybody else. But I just don't get the sense that he's going to sit there and, you know, Cincinnati's going to say, no, that's not good enough. And Stearns is going to keep getting back. Well, how about this? Well, how about this? Well, how about this? At some point, and I'm pretty sure it was probably pretty early on in these negotiations, at some point, the, the offer that you're willing to give for Matt Harvey is the final offer that you're willing to give for Matt Harvey. And some could argue the best offer might have been the first offer because every second that ticks by, it's a little bit less time. So I don't think there was a lot of negotiation there. So when we're sitting there, we get that report, and I'm pretty sure. Uh, not I have no inside information on this whatsoever. I've just been around baseball long enough to kind of know how things work. I would guess that it was Scott Boris, Matt Harvey's agent, that leaked the report that the Brewers were the team that claimed him off waivers. It is, it is, it would be something that could help Scott Boris make money for himself and for Harvey to have Harvey pitching for a contender down the stretch. You go, you're you're playing for a winning team, somebody with Harvey's reputation. You go in there and uh, you're a good citizen. You help a team get to the playoffs. That's gonna that's gonna earn you a few bucks come the off season. So I'm I I believe again with zero confirmation, with zero inside information, just having an idea of how things tend to work in baseball. I have a pretty good uh, belief that it was Boris who leaked. The fact that uh, Harvey was claimed by the Brewers, and I think the idea there was trying to maybe motivate some sort of deal. And I don't know, I don't know if Boris thought that David Stearns would, you know, crumble to some sort of fan pressure for Matt Harvey. That that's never going to happen. Mo- the more important point of all this is Matt Harvey wasn't really going to help the team if they would have gotten him for some low-level prospect. You know, some guy that's in his mid twenties that's playing low A baseball or something like okay fine put him on the roster see what he can do you know worst case scenario he walks in he doesn't fit in the clubhouse he doesn't pitch well he is uh he doesn't adapt well to uh being back pl- playing in games that matter you know you can just you can walk away from him you can designate him you can let him go you can get him off the team so i wasn't completely 100% totally against Matt Harvey being a brewer if it's if you can get him for nothing and just to get, take a flyer on him to see what he might do you know that's kind of the a Cole Hamels situation there were zero expectations for Cole Hamels in Chicago and so far it's been really good and don't there's a lot of teams that passed on Cole Hamels the Cubs were kind of in desperation mode they went with them and you know what that could end up being one of the biggest things that happens to the Cubs this season 
So if you want to have the same type of situation with Matt Harvey to see if him coming to Milwaukee turns into something, I, I was I was fine with it, but I wasn't I wasn't enthralled with it. I didn't love it. I, I was just okay with it. And I I don't understand the obsession with the Matt Harvey. I don't know if the Brewers are going to get a starting pitcher. Yeah, the the guys that are available during the month of August, the guys who clear waivers or the guy that you get uh, a waiver claim in, it's it's guys with bad contracts. Now, there's a reason that Alex Cobb has cleared waivers. There's a we- reason that Andrew Kashner has cleared waivers. Those are bad contracts. Nobody just wants to pick up that uh, money. If, if, uh, if Alex Cobb got claimed off waivers, there's a pretty good chance Baltimore would say, take him. We don't need a thing back. Take him. Take his contract. Thank you very much. This transaction has come to an end. Because he's making a ton of money, and he's making a ton of money over a number of years. So those are the kind of guys that clear through waivers, guys that make a ton of money. So you got to go recognize those guys who have bad contracts. You have to be hopeful that their contract is coming to an end this year and try to get them. And there's still an opportunity for the Brewers to possibly add to the team before the month of August comes to an end. But for it to be some sort of game-changing kind of move, uh, probably probably not going to happen. All right, here's what we've got coming up uh, on the program this week. As mentioned, our guest, we are uh, just uh, less than a minute or so away from uh, bringing into the podcast Kyle Lesneski, the uh, managing editor over at Brew Crew Ball. And then when we're done talking with Kyle, we will switch gears and talk with Garrett Green, the broadcaster for the Biloxi Shuckers. That's what's coming up here on the program this week. This is Brewers Extra Innings Podcast, powered by WTMJ Mobile. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings Podcast, powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time for our social media conversation. We're very happy to be able to welcome on to the program. He is the managing editor over at Brew Crew Ball. His name is Kyle Lesneski. Kyle, always great to talk to you. How are you doing? I certainly can't complain. Uh, Brewers had a pretty nice win today. Closed the week out with, uh, you know, a winning week. So things hopefully are looking up as we uh, get to the end of August here. Let me throw something out at you because I made a comment on the radio that I thought was just kind of a throwaway statement, and I got some pushback on it. I made the statement that if the Brewers play about 600 ball the rest of the way, so, you know, win most of their series, only lose a series here, a series there, but generally take two out of three from most series, that if they play 600 ball down the stretch, that's going to be good enough for them to be a postseason team. I'm not saying that's going to get them the division, not saying it's even get them the top wild card, but that's going to be enough to win the division. I got people texting at me, tweeting at me, the whole nine, basically saying, oh, look at how well the Cubs are playing, look at how well the Cardinals are playing, that will never happen. And To me, you can make the postseason without catching the Cubs and without catching the Cardinals. So I'll start you with this. Would you agree with me that if they play about 60, uh, 600 baseball from here to the end of the stretch that they are in the postseason? Yeah, I, I would say that that's a pretty reasonable conclusion. Uh, most of the stuff that I've seen floating around has kind of posited that if you can get to 90 wins, that uh, you know there's a pretty good pretty good shot that you'll be able to make the postseason in one way or another that way. I don't think 90 wins is going to win the division, but I certainly think that that should be just about enough to get a wild card spot, whether it's the first or the second one. So um, I believe they got their 73rd win today. So, you know, if they can 
they can, you know, win another 17 games here on out, then, you know, they should probably have a pretty good shot. And then anything on top of that would, you know, be even better. So um, if they can keep winning series, take two out of three, you know, every, every time they, they come up against opponent like they did this past week, I, I certainly don't think that they should have a major issue qualifying for postseason play if they can keep that level of play up at, uh, you know, in the final month of the season. The, the number one topic of discussion lately has been the bullpen because the Brewers are fine when they're in situations where they're able to use Jeremy Jeffers, Josh Hader, and Joaquin Soria, but there's not a lot of consistency elsewhere in the bullpen. Are you concerned right now about those games when the three guys that I mentioned are not being used? You know, I, I think you kind of have to be, and I guess, you know, coming into the year, um, every all the talk and everything kind of focused about the terrific amount of depth that the, that the team had, um, both in the starting rotation and in the bullpen. And I guess you know here, especially in the second half of the season since the All Star break, we've definitely seen that really put to the test. And it, it hasn't just been injuries; it's been you know a, a guy like Matt Albers, who's who yes has missed time, but also you know he was a lights out reliever for the first two months of the season, and now you know it, it doesn't seem like he can get anybody out. And and same sort of thing here with Dan Jennings lately has has you know been pretty rock solid through the first few months of the season, and all of a sudden here it seems like like you said a little bit of a wall and. Um, of course, you know the, the biggest issue is is obviously what's been going on with Corey Knable. Uh, you know, he was an all-star closer for the team last year. Was obviously going to be seen as a significant part of the bullpen this year, and you know, pitched poorly enough that that he was optioned to the minor leagues earlier this week to try and try and work on things and, and get some stuff straightened out. And um, you know, there's only so much that you can rely on on those three horses in the bullpen, as you mentioned, Hader and Soria and Jeffress. Um, but, you know, they're, they're not going to be available every day. And we've seen that, you know, council is, especially with Hader is, is very careful about when he chooses to pitch him and how much rest they choose to give him. And, um, you know, I, maybe we'll see those rules get lightened up a little bit with the last month of the season here, given the circumstances, um, but I, I definitely think it's something that we should be keeping in the back of our mind, and I, I certainly think that some concern about the way that the team has pitched lately is those those other relievers is, is certainly warranted. There's been a lot more social media criticism of Craig Council, which I, I don't completely get, and I thought you know, the day that they uh, went to Dan Jennings to face Scooter Jeanette and Scooter Jeanette hits the home run, everybody wanted Taylor Williams to stay in there, and I, I get why you would want Taylor Williams to stay in there. It's not, I don't think I think either decision was an okay decision at, at that point, but then a couple of outings later, Williams was allowed to face some lefties, and that was that second game of the Pirates series where when he faced two lefties, he gave up a, a double to Moran, and he gave up a, a home run to Frazier, so it, it's really easy to sit there after Scooter Jeanette hits a home run and to say, oh, Dan Jennings should not have been facing him. But you look at the other side of it, and you can't really say that Taylor Williams should have been facing him either. Right. You know, it's it's kind of one of those things. It's it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation for counsel. Um, if if he, he's going to go, a lot of the time he's going to go with what the numbers say. And that's, you know, whether it's it's good, bad, or indifferent, that's the way that baseball is going. And, and Crank Council has certainly shown that that's the style of management that he employs. And that's, you know, what the front office is, is looking for him to do. And 
you know, I, when you, you make a move like that, you're doing it based on numbers that say, well, you know, eight out of 10 times Dan Jennings is going to be able to get Scooter Jeanette out. Well, you know, that still means that two out of those 10 times something else may happen. And, you know, we obviously saw that something else happened. So then it's one of those things, well, you know, maybe he should have stayed with the hot hand and, you know, Taylor Williams had started off that inning so well and this and that. And, you know, it's still, it's one of those things where, you know, the numbers are going to be what they are. Eight out of 10 times Dan Jennings should be getting, getting out of that situation. That doesn't mean that every single time that that situation is going to work, but it means that the overwhelming majority of the time, this is what's supposed to happen. So ideally, that's the way that you would, would like to see your manager manage the game. And, you know, then we saw later on in the week, um, later on in that series, that Council went the other way and, you know, maybe tried to play with his, play a more gut move and, and stay with Taylor Williams. And then, well, that came back and bit him in the butt. And, oh, well, if you wanted to go with the lefty earlier in the week, then why didn't you want to do it this time? So, you know, criticizing a manager is, that's just going to be something that, that everybody does. And I guess, ultimately, I think that Craig Council is a, is a pretty good manager. Um, do I agree with every single one of the moves that he makes? No, but that's just, you know, kind of what the nature of the position is. And uh, I think that Craig Council is, is doing a pretty good job of, of managing this baseball team. I guess I can't think of anybody specifically off the top of my head that I would rather have running the Brewers right now. So, you know, I, I trust Craig Council to, to do best with what he's given to try and, and get this team to where they need to be. Were you surprised when the uh, Baseball America Best Tools thing came out where they interview uh, other managers, GMs, and uh, exe- and scouts across baseball? Were you surprised at all that the Craig Council was named the best manager in the National League? You know, honestly, I'm, I'm not. You know, I, I hear and see the way that Craig Council is, is viewed around baseball is, is obviously he's a, he's a very highly thought of manager. Um, he was named Sporting News' Manager of the Year last year, which is a um, an award that's voted on by different managers around the game. So, you know, it's obviously no secret that he's very well respected within his profession. He's very well respected around the game and among his peers. And I think that that means a lot more than, you know, what, you or I as media people or, you know, people on Twitter think of what a manager is doing of their job. I I tend to trust what the other people in baseball and the other people who are actively managing baseball teams, if they think Craig Council is doing a pretty good job, then I I feel pretty confident that Craig Council is doing a pretty good job. This past week, there were trade rumors involving Matt Harvey that didn't come to fruition. It was a Man, it was a weird situation because generally guys who are going to uh, who are put out there on waivers and, and get claimed that information it, sometimes it comes out sometimes it doesn't but we even had the information on what the the deadline was to get it done I real for me I think Harvey's agent I, I think Boris floated that out there just because maybe he wanted to get tried to push something to uh, to, to force uh, Harvey onto a, a better team where if he pitched well down the stretch he could make some more money in the offseason that's my conspiracy theory on that one but it was a really odd situation where the internet's going crazy for the better part of four hours about a potential Matt Harvey deal and then nothing ever comes from it I always thought that you know at that point 
the Reds were in a situation where if they didn't accept what the Brewers were offering, their only two options from then on were to either keep Harvey and get nothing or to later put him on waivers again where they can't pull him back off. So I always thought that if this deal isn't getting done right away, it's not going to get done because there's no there's no pressure on the Brewers to add to their deal. Uh, they're the ones with all the leverage. What was your takeaway from everything that went down uh, with the Matt Harvey situation a couple days ago? Yeah, I guess, you know, in all honesty, I'm not extremely surprised that the Brewers were the team that ended up making the claim. Um, going back to the end of July, there was a lot of rumblings that they had some interest and in all that kind of stuff. Um, but at the same time, I'm also not very surprised that nothing ended up getting worked out. Um, I mean, Matt Harvey is a name that we all know because of those games that he pitched in the World Series a few years ago and, you know, former Rookie of the Year, all that kind of stuff. He, he's done some impressive things in the major leagues, but it's been a long time since he's been that guy, and he's he's had some very serious injuries in his career, um, not just Tommy John surgery, but he's also had uh, thoracic outlet syndrome surgery, which is um, a very difficult injury for pitchers to, to come back from and really affects a lot of guys' as careers negatively and um that's you know played a pretty significant role i think in in the trajectory that harvey's career has taken uh, he hasn't had an era under four and a half and in, in any of the last three seasons he's been on and off the disabled list um he, he is not missing really any bats and he's giving up an awful lot of home runs and you know i i look at at matt harvey and i just I don't really see anything significantly better than the guys that the Brewers had on the staff right now. And, you know, I, I think David Stearns can look and, and pretty clearly see that as well. And, you know, with all the outside noise about how the team needs to add a starter and this this is still one starter short and this and that, and it, it's just like I, I guess I don't feel confident in saying that Matt Harvey is a surefire better option than – Brandon Woodruff or, or Zach Davies, the guys that the Brewers kind of have stashed away in the minor leagues right now in case of an emergency. Um, and, you know, given that, I, I don't see why the Brewers would have exactly been motivated to give up, you know, a, any player package that would have enticed the Reds to, to part with Matt Harvey. I think they placed a claim and said, you know, hey, if, if you want to give us Matt Harvey, we'll pay his salary for the rest of the year. We'll let him come and pitch for us, and, and we'll take him off your hands. Um, you know, maybe they – I saw some kind of suggestion that said the Brewers offered a player that, you know, you wouldn't even really consider a prospect. So I don't know if that's some kind of 25-year-old that's in rookie ball or A ball or something like that, but obviously the Brewers weren't very motivated to get a deal done for Matt Harvey. Otherwise, Matt Harvey would be pitching for the Brewers right now. And, um, you know, I, I guess I can't fault Cincinnati for not just letting him go. Um, you know, it, as much sense as it makes for us sabermetricians, you know, hey, you can clear some salary, give some young guys a chance to, to pitch some innings, this and that. You know, it, their owner kind of stepped in and said, well, if we're not going to get anything um, that's going to, improve our team, then we might as well just keep him and, and, you know, have a guy, a big name on our team for September and try and get a couple more people out to the ballpark. So, you know, like I said, I, I'm not, I'm not surprised that there was interest from Milwaukee, but I'm also not surprised that nothing got done. And, and I can't say I'm exactly disappointed either. 
And Alex Cobb is out there, reportedly has cleared waivers. He's got a big old contract. I have a hard time believing the Brewers would take that on. Uh, Andrew Kashner's out there, another Baltimore Oriole. He's still owed money through through next year. I don't know if either of those guys fit just because of the contract and the money that is owed to them uh, beyond this year. But all, all that being said, do you think that there's going to be uh, a new starting pitcher with the Brewers before the month of August comes to an end? Um, you know, at this point, I just... I don't really get a gut feeling that, that anything's going to happen. Um, like I said, it doesn't feel like there's any reason that unless, unless David Stearns is going to go out and find, you know, this year's Justin Verlander, you know, is it worth it to go out and, you know, give up a prospect or, or something to get Gio Gonzalez for a month? Um, I, I guess I, I don't see that that would, you know, exactly move the needle one way or the other for the Brewers. Um, so I guess really going forward, I, I kind of see the Brewers sticking with the same guys that they have. And, um, you know, the pitching rotation has, has looked a little bit better this, this last time through. And um, these guys have been the guys that have gotten the Brewers to this point where they are this season. So, you know, unless, you know, like I said, unless for some unforeseen reason, there's all of a sudden some top starting pitcher out on the market. I guess I don't, I don't really foresee the Brewers going out and making any additional moves. Um, uh, unless it's, you know, maybe, maybe another arm for the bullpen or something like that. We're talking on Sunday night and Sunday afternoon, Chase Anderson was just rolling and then all of a sudden he gives up a couple home runs in the sixth inning, can't get out of the sixth, doesn't get an out in the sixth inning. Uh, I, uh, if, if the Brewers could choose any starter to start a playoff game, you know, like a single game, wild card kind of game, I don't think it's going to be Chase Anderson. But that being said, how concerned are you that his uh, the fact that he keeps giving up home runs could potentially hurt the Brewers in some sort of longer playoff series? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, right now, I guess looking at the way that the pitching rotation has performed. I, I don't know if you could exactly say that, you know, we've got one, two, three playoff starters for sure. Obviously, uh, Jaleed Chassin would, would be a guy that factors into that mix. Um, but beyond that, I, I think it's just going to kind of come down to who's hot and, and how the rotation lines up entering a given series. Um, you know, obviously there's cause for concern in how Chase Anderson has pitched this year. Um, he hasn't, I guess, been an altogether different pitcher in how he's mixing his pitches and where he's locating and all that kind of stuff than he was last year. Um, the only real difference that I've been able to see is the fact that he's not throwing as hard with his fastball this year as he was last year. And I think that's, you know, a pretty significant reason for why he's kind of regressed to pretty close to the pitcher that he was before his 2017 breakout. And, and before last year, he was a guy who had always had issues giving up the long ball. And when you're sitting in the 90 to 92 range, you have a lot less margin for error than, you know, when you're sitting 93, 94, and you can reach back for 96, 97 when you need it. Um, so, you know, Ch Chase Anderson is a guy with good control, but, you know, I guess I wouldn't say he's got pinpoint command. So when you're working up in the strike zone, like lots of Brewers pitchers do, and, and guys can get around on your fastball a little bit easier than maybe they would have last year, you're going to see a lot of, you know, the home run issues that, that Chase Anderson has had this year. And, um, you know, it's, it's certainly disappointing to see. Uh, there was a lot of hope for, um, you know, his continued success after his breakout last season and the modest extension that the Brewers gave him last winter. Um, but, you know, I guess he, he's still 
at least in terms of his earned run average and all that kind of stuff. He's he's around a league average pitcher, maybe slightly better than that, and um, that's basically what the Brewers have all throughout their their rotation. And once you get into the playoffs, it's not as much of a concern as you know the innings, how deep you can get into games and stuff like that. So once they get into a playoff series, and you know that they're going to have you know so many off days in the span of a week and all that kind of stuff, it becomes a lot easier to kind of you know maybe use Josh Hader for three innings at a time in the middle of a game and, you know, be more willing to pull a pitcher out after four innings or three innings or something like that. Just get through the order the first time. And and in that scenario, you're kind of doing everything that you can to win. So I, I don't think that, um, I don't, I guess I don't think that that's going to be anything that majorly holds the team back. And when, like I said, you know, we might not even be talking about Chase Anderson playoff starter as, as odd as that would have sounded coming into the, coming into the season. I, I, I kind of want to pause for a second because I feel like, and this is on me, this isn't on you. Uh, I feel like our conversation has kind of gone down. We're, we're looking at some of the negative things and we're looking at some of the issues that, that exist. And obviously that's going to happen because people get more focused on the things you want to see get better sometimes than, than things that are going well. But as we sit here on Sunday night, this is a Brewers team with 73 wins, according to uh, the ESPN playoff uh, pr- probabilities. They're at about 59%. This team is in a perfectly fine spot right now. And I think that you know, I keep seeing, especially with what I do on the radio, whether it's people who call in, text in, tweet in, I constantly hear the stuff from people. Season's over. Team is tanking. They're not going to make it to the playoffs. It's Packers season. Like All that stuff. I hear it over and over and over and yeah we can sit here and we can have a conversation about the things that we'd like to see better over the final month and a half but Kyle I think you'll agree with me the team is in perfectly good position right now yeah absolutely and you know really so much of the baseball season it's such a long season 162 games over 187 days Um, so much of the baseball season is just kind of treading water and the Brewers have you know I guess for the most part, been treading water for the last couple of months, been playing around 500 baseball, and they had a, a hot streak early on in the season that's kind of propelled them to where they are um, in the standings right now, and that's just kind of the, the nature of the game. The Cubs tread water a lot earlier, or treaded water for a while earlier in the season, and we've seen them kind of get hot since the All-Star break. Uh, the Cardinals were under 500 for a good portion of the first half of the season, and then all of a sudden they were the hottest team in baseball. And it's, it's just, you know, teams get on hot streaks, and you can't really predict, I guess, specifically when those hot streaks are going to happen. The Brewers had their hot streak early on in the season, and you know some of these other teams that were cold earlier in the season are all of a sudden getting hot right now, and it, that doesn't necessarily mean that the Brewers are cold. They're just not playing as well as all these other teams that are kind of grabbing the headlines, whereas the Brewers were the ones that were grabbing the headlines earlier in the season. Um, you know, I, I guess... I don't see any reason why that should be expected to continue going forward. I don't think that the Cardinals are going to, you know, win five out of every six games for the for the rest of the season. I don't think the Cubs are going to keep up on the torrid pace that that they've had for you know the last few weeks because that's the nature of baseball. Teams get on hot streaks. Teams get on cold streaks, um, and that's why you kind of got to take a, a longer view of the baseball season and and look at how 
things have progressed throughout the season. And when you kind of step back and, and take more of an overall picture view, it, it helps you maybe feel a little bit better about um, then more so following like day-to-day nuances of, of what the team does and how they perform on a game-to-game basis because it's it's easy to get bogged down in, in stuff like that over the course of such a long season. And I think that's where a lot of fans and, and people on Twitter and the and the vocal people on Twitter and all that kind of stuff, that's where they, you know, maybe get themselves worked up in, in situations that they might not need to. Want to finish you off with this? Your most recent uh, piece over at uh, Brew Crew Ball talks about some of the players, a couple players that have been picked up by the organization uh, off the waiver wire recently. But kind of a uh, a part of this story is something that I feel like a lot of people don't realize because this Brewers farm system was one of the best in baseball not that long ago. But it between the Yelich trade with a bunch of other smaller trades that kind of uh, reduce some of the prospect depth within the organization organization all of a sudden the brewers according to the latest baseball america rankings coming at number 22 in baseball keston here is the only top 100 overall prospect last time i looked at the sky Sox roster and correct me if i'm wrong on this last time i looked at the sky Sox roster they have no top 30 prospects who have not been in the big leagues at some point like a, a jacob nottingham a brandon woodruff are there but those are guys who have gone to the big leagues there's no ascending prospects that are top 30 guys that are at Colorado of spring so uh, there's not a ton of guys that are right there on the on the cusp of getting there this is uh, you know at, at times people have been critical of the Brewers and their willingness to step away from prospects and and you know overvaluing prospects and things like that this shows all the way down to number 22 in the rankings they clearly have used their farm system to try to augment the big league roster yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, you don't hang your, as Doug Melvin said, you don't hang Baseball America top farm system banners up in the rafters. Um, you know, the, the purpose of the farm system is to supplement the big league level. And that's exactly what we've seen David Stearns do over the last couple of seasons. But, you know, it hasn't just been through trade. Obviously, that's made a significant dent in the farm system rankings when you lose, you know, guys like Isan Diaz and my Harrison and Lewis Brinson in, in various trades. And even, you know, getting to guys like Brett Phillips and, and Jorge Lopez, like those, all those moves are going to add up. But at the same time, the team has also graduated a lot of prospects who've made some pretty significant contributions at the big league level. Uh, obviously, Josh Hader was was one of their top pitching prospects, the top left-handed pitching prospect in baseball last year. He graduated to the major leagues, and you know, has obviously carved himself out a pretty important role. Uh, we're seeing that you know same sort of thing right now with Freddie Peralta, just recently graduated off the top prospect list, and he's been entrenched in the Brewers' rotation for a good chunk of the season. Corbin Burns just graduated off that top prospect list, and. Um, he's a very important cog in the bullpen right now and is and is pitching some pretty important innings for this team. Um, and even a guy like Brandon Woodruff, who's graduated off the top prospect list, he entered the year as, you know, the number 95 prospect in baseball or something like that. And uh, he's 
soaked up some big league innings. He's serving an important role right now as as starting rotation depth, and I'm sure that we're going to come up and see him, you know, get an opportunity to pitch some important innings in September as well. So, you know, whether it's whether it's through these trades with the gone out and obviously gotten some very important players. Uh, Christian Yelich wouldn't wouldn't be here without, you know, perhaps the most significant trade that this franchise has had in a long time. Um, but at the same time, it's it's seeing the fruits of all those trades that David Stearns and Doug Melvin made during this rebuild. We're seeing, you know, the fruits of some of those drafts and stuff over the last few years. We're seeing those guys come up to the big league level and make some very important contributions for a team that's contending for the postseason. And I guess I don't really know what more you could ask for out of your farm system than that. What do you guys have? Uh, you guys are just churning out great content on an everyday basis at Brew Crew Ball. It's pretty incredible what you guys are doing. But uh, give me a plug for uh, for folks to check it out. I'm sure most people listening to this uh, are already very familiar uh, with the product. But take me through uh, what's going on right now over at Brew Crew Ball. Um, we're going to start kind of getting into looking at the expanded rosters. Obviously, September 1st is coming up quick, so the Brewers are going to um, look to probably make some pretty significant additions to the roster from the minor leagues. Um, you know, We're also going to maybe take a look at some of the struggles that Chase Anderson has had with the long ball this year and then do some statistical analysis on that. And Obviously, we're going to continue with our minor league coverage here through the end of the season, which is coming up pretty soon, so we'll uh, you know get the postseason uh, minor league coverage all handled and, and get that season all wrapped up as soon as it's over. Kyle, always really appreciate uh, you taking some time with us. Uh, hopefully we can get you in one more time before uh, the season comes to an end. But uh, thanks as always for taking the time. Really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, it's certainly my pleasure. I always appreciate you reaching out and, and giving me a chance to come on and chat with you. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. We do continue on. It's time to go down on the farm. And we'll bring back in the double-A uh, broadcaster for the Brewers, the uh, voice of the Biloxi Shuckers. That is uh, Garrett Green. Follow him on Twitter at Garrett underscore Green. Garrett with two T's. Green with two E's and then a single E at the end. You'll figure it out. It is Garrett Green. Hey, Garrett, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Sorry about the, uh, the music name there, but that's a, a good description. Thanks so much for having me on again. <laughs> Glad to have you on and. Uh, this is a Biloxi team that, uh, in the first half of the season, put together one heck of a half and they already clinched their playoff spot. Sometimes you see teams kind of take a step back after they're able to uh, pick up the first half uh, title. In fact, you look over uh, in the other side of things, and uh, you know Jackson hasn't quite been the team in the second half they were in the first half, although they are still above 500. But uh, you you guys continue to roll along at a at a pretty solid clip. Just talk to me a little bit about that. The fact that there hasn't been much of a letdown here in the second half of the season. Yeah, I think it really speaks to the depth that the Brewers have in their farm system, and the fact that when we lost guys who justifiably earned their promotion, uh, guys like you know Jake Hager who got promoted up to Triple A, Nick Ramirez who was sent up, Quentin Flores Costa was sent up. That's two left-handers out of the bullpen that you lose there. And, and Hager, who has been one of the most, if not arguably the most consistent guy on this team this season, 
Uh, but but guys just continue to find ways to step up. The team went through quite a stretch there uh, from the end of July until the first part of August. Not only did they play 15 out of 20 games on the road, and it was really the stretch where they spent something like 15 out of 21 days away from MGM Park. We made our two longest road trips of the season. We went all the way up to Jackson. You know, that was a bus ride through the night, played 6.05 first pitches, and then made a bus ride through the night down to Pensacola, which is another one where we arrived in Pensacola as the sun was coming up. Mm. That was also a stretch where you lost the likes of Cody Baderos to a trade. Jake Gatewood went down with an ACL injury. Luis Ortiz got traded. And then Zach Brown, right before we set off on that road trip, um, was injured and was out for three and a half weeks. Uh, but despite all of that, the team has still found a way. Different guys have stepped up. Uh, and they just keep finding a way to win. I really attribute a lot of it, not just the talent that, uh, you know, is pushing up through the farm system, but also the way that Mike Guerrero, Chucky Caulfield, uh, Al LaBeouf, and, of course, Dave Chavaria handles the staff and, and make sure that the guys are, are prepared and, and ready to go to work every day and, and continue to battle through a little bit of adversity that we had there in the, in the real dog days of the minor league season. So I can remember when I, when I was working down in, in in actually lower than where you're at right now. This, this probably doesn't happen to you guys, but do, do you ever have the situation where you'll roll into a city at like uh, four, five, six o'clock in the morning, and the hotel rooms are not even ready, and you're just stuck out in the lobby? You know, I have heard stories about it happening with the old Huntsville Stars, and uh, but fortunately. You know, I'm actually uh, in charge of, of booking all the rooms. I did all that before the season started. And Nate Dine, who's our great uh, strength and conditioning coach with the team, he makes sure to take care of the rooming lists and everything like that. Uh, and they do a wonderful job making sure that, that everything's prepared and, and we never have a situation where we roll up and they say, we don't have hotel rooms for you. That's, that has not happened yet this season, fortunately. That's good. I, I ex- Now, admittedly, when I experienced that, I was working in independent baseball, in the, uh, and that was the last time. Once I got into affiliated baseball, I never had a situation where hotels weren't ready. But it is the worst thing in the world when you pull into a place at 6 o'clock in the morning and they're like, yeah, hotel, check-in is until 3 o'clock. You guys just got to sit out in the lobby, and you know, guys are on the floor and everything. It's a, it's a horrible position to be in. I, I can only imagine, and again, I, I have heard the stories from uh, Mike and Al, who, who both worked for Huntsville back in the day, and they they had that happen more than one time where they arrived, and, and it was a, a bus ride through the night, and it was 5 a.m., and, and they had to sit and wait until 7 o'clock when everything uh. got sorted out to, to get them into their room. Um, I, I'm glad we're having you on, and I, I, I haven't really asked many people this, and I think it's kind of interesting. On July 31st, when it was the trade deadline, I'm sitting here watching MLB Network, and the focus is completely on the Brewers because all the MLB Network guys are assuming they're going to trade for a pitcher, and it was it seemed like in the final moments right before the deadline, so much focus on the Brewers organization. Now, I, I don't where I don't know where you guys were at that day, and if guys were to the ballpark yet, but what's it like for? a group of minor leaguers that know they could be part of trades like that. What's it like on that July 31st trade deadline for those guys? You know, it was kind of a surreal experience for about the two weeks leading up to the trade deadline. Uh, It was a case where we were on the bus from Jackson down to Pensacola 
the night that Brett Phillips uh, and and uh, Jorge Lopez were both traded away to to the Royals, and you know Maderos got traded while we were in uh, Jackson, and and for a team like you said that's that was that is and was loaded with a ton of prospects, and we saw it really leading up to the trade deadline in Biloxi. We'd have nights where normally you get three, four scouts who will be out there. We had 10, 11 scouts that were showing up every single night to watch our team play. So guys knew that they could be trading pieces. And, you know, Keston Hira said it when he was talking to uh, Adam there at the MLB All-Star Futures game. He said the team kind of jokes about it, and they did. Guys were joking about, hey, you know, trade me away, and uh, and saying like, oh, so and so is going to get traded away next, and and all kinds of things like that. I think that's all that you can do is just joke about it and, and roll along and understand that it, it's part of the business. And and if you get traded, you get traded, and, and accept the fact that there are probably a couple of guys that aren't going to be on this team anymore. And, and the real surreal one. He's going to be in our last five games of the season when Cody Maderos, who obviously was a part of the Brewers organization since he was drafted in the first round, uh, we're going to be facing him more than likely in the last five games of the year. He'll probably be starting for the Birmingham Barons because that's where he went after he got traded from us. So he'll be walking in and making that weird trip to the visitors' clubhouse uh, when he comes back to Biloxi. But that's just part of how it went. All right, let's get into some guys. And uh, we always talk about Keston Hira, and here's a guy who. Has not had really any sort of extended slump, but you look at his month of August numbers. He's hitting just uh, 200. What's everybody knows how good of a hitter he is. Is this just kind of part of the process of Double A? Because I mean, you look at it month by month: 326 June, 271 in July, 200 August. Is he maybe at the point of his career now where he's at a high enough level that the league can make some adjustments to him, and now it's his opportunity to kind of learn how to make adjustments back? You know, I, I think so. I also think that, look, this is the guy's second season in professional ball and his first full professional year where he did spring training and now you go through the grind of 140 games and he's pretty much a day-to-day player. Uh, so I think that that certainly might be a piece of it. But the other thing, too, is that, and you'll hear the cliche all the time, the, the stats don't tell the full story, they really don't because it's not like Keston is going up there and is taking four pitches and going down swinging. Uh, you know, his, his stats will show sometimes that maybe he goes one for four or 0 for four, but he barreled up the ball three times while he was batting. And there was a case in point of that in the game that we had on Saturday night against Mississippi where he comes up, there's a guy on first, and he just demolished this ball out to the right center field gap, but their right fielder just able to run it down, make a catch, and so instead of it being a, an RBI gapping double, it just goes down to the box scores and out. And so when you take a look at a guy's line score, it's not there. Uh, you know, the, the it shows that you went over for fourth for the night, not that you know you barreled the ball up three different times. So I, I think that while yeah, he's not hitting three sixty five like he was when he first got here, and certainly he's gotten up to an advanced level, he still has the same day to day approach. And I think that you, it, there's nothing, there's no reason for anybody to hit the panic button on Ocasanera has forgotten <laughs> how to hit. That's that's just not the case uh, with this guy. Corey Ray had that month of July where it was just 11 home runs, 27 RPIs, uh, an OPS of darn near a thousand at, at 961. 
He, he's come back to earth a little bit in the month of August with a 141 uh, batting average. I, the power is still somewhat there, five home runs so far in August. You knew he wouldn't repeat July and August. Just give me kind of a, a report on him, you know, coming out of July, going into that August where he's at right now. You know, I, I would say that I think that the, the power numbers are there, and, and sometimes they're there, and instead of shortening up the swing, that Corey is trying to hit 30 home runs sometimes. Uh, and, and I know that there are people who work with him every day and try to make sure that he shortens his approach up and, and does what he needs to do to be sure to, to take care of that. But And I might have said this the last time that we spoke. When Corey is hot, he is scalding hot. There is not a more dangerous hitter that you want out there. But it's the same kind of thing where folks in the league have figured out not to throw him first pitch fastballs, not to throw him a lot of that, throw him a lot of breaking pitches. And and I know from hearing him talk before that sometimes it's his own stubbornness that gets in his way and trying to adjust to that. And there's no doubt that the month of August has certainly not been as good as his July, you can't expect anybody to specifically repeat July, but he's got, you know, seven more games in the regular season to, to figure it out before we move into the playoffs, and really the, the Shepherds are counting on him. And that's the thing is, even when he is in a, a funk right now, if you notice 11 hits in the month of, of August, but five of them have been home runs. I think two of them have been doubles. He's got a triple, and a couple of those home runs helped us win ball games. And so his box score might read one for four with two strikeouts, but that one hits a home run that you needed in the sixth inning. Uh, but certainly the, the month of August, I think, for Corey, someone who, who doesn't shy away from his numbers last year, I don't think he's going to shy away from from what his August has been like, and we'll, we'll try and improve that moving forward. From a batting average standpoint, I don't know if anybody is hotter in the month of August than uh, Blake Alamand, who, I mean, you look at this guy, May 182, June 171, July 121, and now he's hitting 417 in the month of August. What? Uh, it's great, but what's going on? Well, we, we asked him about it. He was uh, the hero of the game. He went three for four and one that we had at home, and he was our post-game guest. Uh, and my my you know my broadcast partner Spencer Siegel asked him what's going on right now, and he said, well, you know, a couple of weeks ago I saw that Keston Hira had this really cool necklace, uh, and I said, hey, that guy's pretty good at hitting, so I got one. And so he says it's all on the necklace. Uh, <laughs> I I think that it's just the fact that with the Shuckers resting some guys, moving some guys around, he finally has gotten his opportunities, uh, and, and is really just. You know, the, the phrase that I've heard this year is ride the wave. And, and when you're going hot, don't ask questions, just go with it. And, and he certainly has figured it out and, and is another guy who even his outs are loud at this point. He's not striking out a whole lot. And he has been a boon for the Shuckers offense when, when some of the guys like Keston here, like Corey Ray, like Lucas Ersig, have been down a little bit with their numbers. He was there to pick things up and, and be a part of this offense just chugging right along. All right, let's go uh, to some pitchers that I want to talk about, guys who have been uh, playing pretty well lately. And we'll start with right-hander Thomas Jenkins, another guy who's putting up a heck of a, a month of August where hitters are hitting just 195 against him. This is another guy that seems like it, it clicked in. I mean, in the month of July, I know I'm just going month by month, but it's a it, it's pretty incredible with some guys on this team comparing their July to their August. You know, in July, batters hit 300 against him. In August, they hit 195 against him. Obviously, that is a, that is a huge difference and a major improvement for Jenkins. 
Yeah, I will say this, though. Jenkins is one of those guys who he shows up to the ballpark and has the same approach every day, and he is arguably the hardest worker on the team. And some of it also has to do with double-A umpires behind the plate. Sometimes when you throw a sinker ball and you throw as good of a sinking fastball as Jenkins throws, if you don't have an umpire that fully comprehends how to call the bottom of the strike zone with a sinking fastball, then that can get to you. But Jenkins is one of those guys who, you know, he continues to pitch well. He continues to use his defense behind him. And I don't think that any trouble, quote-unquote, that he would have ran into in the month of July would have bothered him at all. He, he shows up and works incredibly hard, really takes good care of his body, and also just has a, a great mental approach to how he goes about every single day. And, and that's why he's been the bell cow of this town. I mean, he's the one guy who has been here the entire season and is, is going to end up logging the most innings amongst the Sheckers this year. And that was one of his goals was to lead the team in innings pitched. And I certainly think that he's going to do that. And, for a guy who, who just completely jumped over high A to come to Biloxi, I don't think he's ever been overwhelmed by anything this entire season. Trey Supak is, I mean, his his stat line from start to finish has really turned into a very compelling one. Uh, after his start on July 10th, he's 0-6 with a 5.22 ERA. Since then, he's won four straight. He's only given up uh, five earned runs since July 10th. Here's another guy that uh, obviously something's really clicked in for him. Yeah, and for Trey, if you take a look at his career, that's the exact trajectory that he takes. As he moves along, he'll jump up a level. The first five, six starts, there's an adjustment period. But then after that, he's right there where he needs to be, and he's one of the most dominant pitchers that you see. Didn't get a win when we were in Jackson. He tossed eight innings, gave up one unearned run, uh, spent a little bit of a spell on the disabled list. But since he returned, six scoreless innings in the last time that I remember seeing him. He's a guy who locates both sides of the plate, can elevate his fastball when he needs to, uh, and, and again, just really a, 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 a very honed mentality for what it takes to pitch at this level. And after that slight adjustment period where he figures out what's working for him, what isn't, what you need to do to adjust to hitters, uh, he has been one of the one of the best pitchers that the Shuckers could have asked for, and has certainly picked up some of the slack that they've needed on occasions. Last guy, I want you I want to ask you about it, and for this, it's this is largely because people in, uh, in the Milwaukee area are keeping an eye on him in Cam Regner, and his numbers are a little bit misleading because he's got a 5.74 ERA. But of the 10 runs that he's given up this year, six came in one outing where he only made an inning in two-thirds. He has given up one, uh, two runs or less in every other outing this year. There have been some short outings in there. Uh, but it's, uh, is it safe to say he has pitched better than that 5.74 ERA would indicate? I would say that he is that that ERA indicates that he's still getting used to the Double A level, and, and you know you mentioned the short outings when he made his Double A debut. We got an inning into a game in Pensacola, and then the rain came and we got washed away for that night, so we didn't have a chance to pitch again. Uh, and then came out through three innings, really a quick turnaround from the last time that he had pitched when he gave up those six runs. Uh, he is a pitcher's pitcher. He's not going to overpower you with velocity. But he's tall. He comes home from the left side of the rubber with that left-handed delivery. He really works from a pretty far side of the rubber, so he's very deceptive in his delivery. He's not going to overpower you, but his curveball, 
and his fastball, along with his other breaking stuff, uh, has a lot of deception to it. And so I, I think he's a guy who is just adjusting to the next level, and, and once he figures out what, what it takes to get double-A hitters out, you'll see his numbers return back to a little bit more along the line of what you saw with his outstanding first half in Carolina. The end of the regular season, certainly in sight. We're talking on Sunday night. Uh, team has lost a few in a row at Mississippi, two more at Mississippi, and then we'll uh, wrap things up uh, coming up this weekend at home against Birmingham before the postseason gets underway. Uh, can you take me through the uh, – I- I'm not totally sure what's set in the, the playoff format and everything for uh, the league, so take me through that a bit, what the playoffs are going to look like. Well, at this exact juncture, the playoffs are, are very much up in the air. What the Shuckers know is that on September 5th and 6th, they're going to have two games at home. Who they are playing could be one of three teams. Uh, they could feasibly play the Mississippi Braves, who have a half-game lead on the Shuckers right now. Uh, they could feasibly be playing the Pensacola Blue Wahoos, who are a game and a half back of the Mississippi Braves after the way that their results panned out today. Or, if the Shuckers were to win the second half title, there's still a chance that the Mobile Bay Bears, who would have, you know, who could still have the second best record in the South Division from an overall perspective, could make it in as a wild card. The, the basic result is if somebody else wins the second half title, the Shuckers are going to have to go there and play two games. It's either going to be here in Pearl or it's going to be in Pensacola. Or if they wind up winning both halves, then they'll host four out of five potential playoff games at home, and they'll have it. And they'll either be playing again Pensacola or Mobile in that case. So with seven games left to go in the season, there is a lot up in the air. The nice thing for the Shuckers, though, is that they know that they're in the playoffs. They know that they've got two games at home. It's just whether they get to have more games at home and, and more importantly, who they're going to play. So uh, that's pretty cool. I had no clue about the uh, the playoff format. So if you win the division in the first and second half, you get rewarded with even more home games than if you would have uh, just won one or the other. That's correct. So you'd get games one and two, game three would be on the road, and then game four and five are at your home ballpark. And case in point was the Chattanooga Lookouts last season. Took on the Montgomery Biscuits. They played the first two at home, went down to Montgomery for the third, and then played the last two at home, and ultimately uh, won in walk-off fashion for a, a split title since uh, a hurricane was bearing down on on the South Coast last year. Uh, but But yes, if you win both halves, there is a reward for you in the divisional round, and Uh, Trust me, with the Shuckers, who have by far and away the best record at home in the Southern League this year, any extra home field advantage that they can get, uh, I know that this team would like to enjoy that. 44-21 and at home this year. Pretty uh, pretty incredible. Uh, If folks want to check out the broadcast, especially come uh, playoff time, uh, give a plug for the the best way to consume that. Yeah, so uh, obviously when we're at home, the best way to do it is MILB.TV. Uh, you can search there. I'm pretty sure subscriptions at this point are, are pretty cheap for you to get for the rest of the season and the playoffs. Uh, our production crew does a great job, and we've got a really good video feed. I know there, there are some teams that the video feed is kind of meh. You, you don't really know what you're going to get. We've got a high-definition 16 by 9 feed, so folks can actually watch and hear the games that way. Uh, if they want to just listen to them, uh, you can check us out on TuneIn Radio. You can also look on the MILB uh, first pitch app and check it out there or uh, if for some reason you're in the Biloxi area we're on AM 1240 
or FM 100.9. Those are your best different ways to, to take a listen to, to the Shuckers. He is Garrett Green. Follow him on Twitter at Garrett underscore Green. Garrett is G-A-R-R-E-T-T, and uh, Green is G-R-E-E-N-E. Garrett, always great to uh, talk with you. Appreciate you taking some time while you're on the road. And, uh, yeah, depending on how far uh, the team goes in the playoffs, maybe we'll be talking again here uh, in a few weeks. Happy to do it, and I, I really hope that here in about three weeks we're talking about uh, finishing this season off in the best way possible. Garrett Green joining us, and we certainly appreciate him taking some time as we do start to wrap up this edition of Brewers Extra is the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. We record this on Sunday nights. Monday is an off day for the Brewers, and then they are on the road for the rest of the week. It starts with a three-game series against Cincinnati, night games on Tuesday and Wednesday, and then a day game on Thursday. Junior Guerra, uh, Freddie Peralta, and Wade Miley, as we talk right now, are the scheduled starters in that series. And then when they go to uh, Washington take on the Nationals in all likelihood you would see uh, Yoli Shasin, Chase Anderson and Junior Gare of course anything can change they have the off day on Monday so there could be some moving parts in there but uh, as it sits right now by the time you get to that uh, uh, second game of the Washington series you know by when we're talking next week here on the podcast we are going to be into the month of September and that means rosters are going to be expanding, and that means this Brewers team is going to look a little bit different. There's going to be guys who are up who uh, can, especially from a pitching standpoint, you know, maybe they go into a six-man rotation. Maybe they, you know, put give Zach Davies a start here and there. Maybe it's Brandon Woodruff who gets a start here and there. They give Freddie Peralta a chance to get an extra day or they skip his spot in the rotation, whatever it might be. Uh, once they get into uh, September, things do change a little bit because they're going to have the expanded roster. And it's not going to be 40 players inside of uh, the dugout and inside of the clubhouse, but the Brewers are going to very liberally use uh, their 40-man roster as they generally do, but certainly there's a lot of guys on that roster who are going to be able to uh, contribute, so that's what's uh, coming up this week. Once again, I want to say thank you to my guest Kyle Lesneski joining us and also Garrett Green joining us. Thanks so much for being tuned in. Don't forget, you can always uh, listen in after the Brewers games on WTMJ Radio for uh, our Brewers Extra Innings Post Game Show if you uh, live in the Milwaukee area and really throughout much of the state of Wisconsin and Illinois, Michigan, parts of Indiana. It's uh, it's the biggest stick in the state you can hear on 620 AM, but if you are in an area where uh, you perhaps cannot catch the post-game show, uh, you can still hear it streaming at WTMJ.com on the WTMJ mobile app. Just to, I get questions about this fairly often. Because of Major League Baseball rules, Major League Baseball actually controls the digital rights to the actual play-by-play broadcast of games. So, for example, WTMJ cannot stream the actual game broadcast. So you might tune in to the stream and hear something else as the game is going on or as the uh, network post-game show is going on. But once we hit the air with uh, Brewers Extra Innings, that does stream at WTMJ.com. So if you want to listen to that post-game show, uh, even if you are not in the uh, Milwaukee and much, much surrounding area, you are still able to do that at WTMJ.com. Look forward to talking to you next week. It is Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. We're powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. 
Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.